podcast. Uh, you are my first guest, so congratulations. Sweet. Happy to be here. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a few questions first, and then basically I'll let you talk about whatever you feel like talking about, all right? Yeah, sounds good. All right, so how'd you get into the hobby? Yeah, so how I got in the hobby, actually, my dad once owned a sports card store. So back in the 90s, before there was eBay, before there was ComC, Starstock, my dad owned a store down in Dunning. And he was really big into sports card collecting and selling and everything like that. And he sold his card store, I think it was shortly after the bubble bursted in the 90s and 80s for the junk wax era. But um, when I was born, he actually got back into sports card collecting and would take me down to the local flea market and card shows like when I was four or five years old. Of course, I didn't really have any big interest back then, but I started learning about baseball cards and everything along the lines with that. And then I remember... Is it like Justin Verlander came out or playing Kershaw cards? Um, like that 2005 to 2008 range, I really started collecting cards. Also around that time, Evan Longoria had a rookie card coming out and I'm from Tampa Bay. So I don't remember the exact years, but anywhere from like 2005, 2008, I started getting really into it, started learning all the different players and tried to start collecting them with that. Um, since then, I mean, it's it's been almost 15 years I've been into cards now. So it's been a lot of fun. That is so sick. That's so cool. Uh, who do you PC? Who do you collect? Yeah, so I have two different PCs. I have a vintage PC, which is my main PC I try to fill. And I also have a modern PC. So my vintage PC right now, I'm going after pre-war cards. So a pre-war car, if anyone doesn't know, is anything before World War II. So uh, sets produced in like the 1930s, 40s, and even earlier. So oldest card in my collection is actually an 1887 John Clarkson. It was one of the first 300 game winners in Major League Baseball as an old judge tobacco card. Um, but right now I'm going after more of the 30s uh, pre-war cards right now. So stuff like Gaudi, uh, stuff like Playball, and things like that, the 30s and the 40s. Because there's a ton of Hall of Famers in those sets. Uh, once I collect those, I'm going to go back older. But there's so many different sets back then to collect. Now, modern-wise... I, you do have to collect modern and vintage. What I use modern more is to fuel my vintage addiction to buy modern cards to go out there and flip or trade for vintage stuff. And in my modern PC right now, I really collect Machado uh, from San Diego and Baltimore. I think Manny one. Machado is really, really underrated. He is 40 war at age 28. And if you compare him to other players like Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper has 33 war. They both have about the same amount of home runs and hits. Harper has one MVP. Uh, Machado has multiple gold gloves and a platinum. So Machado is, I think, the most criminally underrated player out there, not just because I collect them, but if you look at the base stats, people are spending buku amounts of money on prospects, yet you have someone who already has 40 war, 200-plus uh, home runs, almost 1,500 hits, before turning even the age of 30, and he gets no hobby love. Uh, so he's been my pretty much one of my biggest PCs out there. Another guy I've been collecting, which I'm getting, getting upset with how he's been performing recently and injuries is Mike Stanton. So oh, yeah. when, I was, when I was collecting in the early uh, 2010s, um, it, the baseball game today wasn't the same back then. So anyone who's new to the hobby and everything like that, everyone evaluates players based off of war and more advanced stats. Back in 2010, 
no one was talking about war. Like very, very few people. Uh, this is pre Moneyball era, pre, oh, let's look at all these advanced stats. So what people really looked at in sports cards was the home run hitters. A lot of people did, right? There's some five tool players, but it was all about the home run. Okay. Yeah. The money's at the home run hitters. And Stanton coming out in 2009, 2010 as a prospect, he was unheard of like in the minor leagues. You watch his home runs. They were line drive home runs. And if you've watched a Stanton home run or you haven't watched one, you need to go on YouTube right now and just look up Mike Stanton home run highlights. There's been, I don't know of a player that hits home runs like that throughout the history of baseball. I could be wrong, but this guy just hits line drives, hundred plus miles or 120 miles an hour out of a stadium within seconds. It's insane. And you know, if he could stay on the field, it would be great. But I bought all of his cards way before he had his 59 home run season. I got probably like 500 of his cards between autographs, numbered cards, gold parallels, chrome, everything like that. And, you know, I wish the hobby got some love back when he had his 59 home run season because I could have cashed out then. I waited on it thinking he was going to have some big years with the Yankees. And kind of what my regrets are right now because I could have cashed out decent. But I hope he does have a comeback with that. Now, some other players I did PC. So like I was saying earlier, 2005, 2008, um, I started really getting into cards. And I know one of my first main PCs there was Clayton Kershaw. So oh, I have a decent nice. amount of his stuff. Not as much as I do now because I didn't have as much money as a kid. But I have some of his cards numbered at like 50, six or seven of his tops update rookie cards and a few other chromes and things like that. But nothing spectacular towards today. Uh, prospecting towards pitchers, though, I have two main PCs with that right now. And they both come from 2018. Uh, so everyone knows the 2018 set for Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna, right? Those are the big names in that set. However, there's two other pitchers in that set along with the batter who I think people should take a look at. So I'll go over these two pitchers Can I and then stop over you the batter. real quick. Sure. I think I have a, a – is one of your pitchers Max Freed? It is not. Oh, okay. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, so the pitchers that I'm investing in 2018 are Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty. Now, I know Jack Flaherty had a bad 2020, and people might look at those stats and say, oh, he's an overrated pitcher. But you got to remember how pitchers are trained throughout spring training and trained throughout the season is they follow a schedule every four other or every like five days or so. They're scheduled to pitch. Well, last year during the COVID season, the Cardinals got shut down in the middle of the season. So you're talking about a type of player that expects to go out and pitch, expects to go out and have bullpens, and you completely stop that training regimen in the middle of the season. And, you know, baseball season is a long season, but at the same time, you need to continue to work on it, things week to week. So Flaherty kind of messed up with that last year with COVID. But if you look at his 2019 run, the second half of the season, it was really, really good. And if you actually watch any film of Flaherty, he kind of looks like a young Max Scherzer. And the fact that he plays for Cardinals, a kind of a legendary organization in terms of Hall of Famers, Fames of World Series, and famous pitchers. Uh, he fits that legacy. And if he does well long term, he could be up in their names of like Bob Gibson or Dizzy Dean. So one of those players that to take a look at because of leg legacy organization, looks really good with the eye test and then has some of the stats. Plus right now, I think he's only 24 or 25 years old and has already acquired close to eight war, which isn't 
great, great. But if you compare it to other pitchers right now that are stars in the game and where they're at war wise, win wise and strikeout wise, he's ahead of his peers. Now, another player I really, really like pitching wise from 2018 is Walker Bueller and Bueller is just, he's going to be the ace of the Dodgers if he's not already. And you're talking about having Clayton Kershaw on that staff and Trevor Bauer. And the thing about having both of those on the staff, he has two other people to look up to that can give him guidance. I mean, we talk about Bauer and how he goes out there and tweaks mechanics, how he goes out there and researches pitches, researches mechanics. There's a bunch of other advanced stats and everything along lines with that. And you have Clayton Kershaw, who is literally the best pitcher of this last 10, 20 years. And you have both of those in a pitching staff and Bueller could be potentially the ace in a few years. Yeah, this guy is really good and has a really high limit. And if you look at his stat wise too, I'm gonna just pull it up real quick on my computer for Walker Bueller. I I would uh, definitely like to say too that the whole Dodgers organization, it, their rotation is nasty right now. Even Dustin May and Julio Arias, like they have some talent. Absolutely. So Bueller right now has a career 3.1 ERA and a 1.022 WHIP. Now, when you're looking to invest in pitchers. You want to have a pitcher that typically has under a 3.25 ERA career, and you want to look at a whip that's usually under 1.2. His whip is a lot lower at 1.022, and an ERA is at 3.1. And then the other thing you want to look at is strikeouts per nine because strikeouts are huge in the game. Uh, for a pitcher, you want to have the 3,000 strikeout milestone. When you have 3,000 strikeouts, you're pretty much a Hall of Famer. Everyone that has 3,000 strikeouts or 300 wins, which is another milestone, makes the Hall of Fame. Now, with baseball right now and how pitchers are, you don't have a four-man rotation anymore. It's five. So 300 wins is really, really difficult. But 3,000 strikeouts is very uh, achievable, especially in the type of game we're in right now where it's either pretty much a home run or a strikeout. So looking at it, right, Walker Bueller also has a 10.2 strikeouts per nine. So that means he averages 10 strikeouts per nine innings. A nine is really good. 10 is phenomenal. So he fits the criteria with whip. He fits the criteria with ERA and he fits the criteria for strikeouts per nine. The only issue that I have with Bueller a little bit is he's a bit older. He's already 26 years old. So he doesn't have as much of longevity as someone that gets up at age 19 or 20 or 21. So he's not going to have the benefit of having a full season of stats from the age 21, 22 or 23, since he got called up at the age of 23 with that. So that's with Bueller right now. Look at his stats. He also has 6.2 war. Back to Flaherty, though, real quick, just so I sure. can go over that. Jack Flaherty, stat-wise, he has 7.8 war, um, and his whip is a 1.078. His ERA is a little inflated right now at 3.41, but that's because of the bad last year. But either way, like Flaherty is one year younger and already has acquired more war than Walker Bueller and has about the same amount of strikeouts, I believe, in similar whips. So both of them are very, very promising on that side of things. Uh, the last player I do PC modern-wise is Rafael Devers. Oh, and, that's a good one. Yeah, so Rafael Devers is another player that didn't have a great 2020. I'm not sure why. Uh, Boston had a full normal season with that side of things. It wasn't like uh, the Cardinals where they got stopped in the middle, and he's a batter, so it's a little bit different. But if you look at Davier, Devers stats, I'm going to pull them up right now. I just want to bring you back on Walker Bueller real quick too to say it doesn't 
Like he could be old, but he could be like Bartolo Colon and still be pitching in his forties. You never know. Sometimes. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, personally, though, I do like investing in guys that are younger, age twenty, nineteen, because when you're making the leagues at that age, people are still in college or in single A most of the time. So you, if you're getting called up that young, you're often a generational talent. Plus, you also have the opportunity to pick up those extra three or four years of stats. And if you think about it from like a pitcher perspective, if someone gets 200 strikeouts a year for four years, that's 800 more strikeouts you can pad. If you have a normal stat line of 2,200 strikeouts across a career, you're not going to make the Hall of Fame. But if you have an additional four years where you now have 800 more strikeouts, you have 3,000 strikeouts. So your probability of making the Hall of Fame and then uh, adding more to your stat line long term is a lot higher. That's why a player like Kershaw has amazing stats at his age. Like Kershaw, right? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the same age, I believe, as DeGrom. I could be wrong, but I just want to just double check this right now. So Kershaw is 33. DeGrom is 33 as well. He's about to turn 33. And if you look at their stats, right, Kershaw has 177 wins. DeGrom has 70. You look at strikeout-wise, DeGrom has 1380. Kershaw is 2500. So Kershaw got called up at the age of 20 versus DeGrom who got called up at age 26. So a six-year difference between the two pitchers, but it just shows you getting called up early on and getting those extra years is going to add more to your stats. You can definitely make that um, with Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and Aaron Judge. They're all around the same age. I think Judge is 28, Harper's 28, Machado's 28. Yeah, so looking at Judge, which, guys, if you don't know what website to use, take a look at baseballreference.com. Really, really good um, looking at this stuff. So Aaron Judge is 28 years old, almost 29, and has 20 war, 121 home runs, and a 272 batting average. Now you look at Manny Machado. Manny Machado has a 40.4 war. He has 280 batting average, 225 home runs, and 1,300 hits. Who's the better investment at the age of 28? Machado, obviously. Literally double the stats. That so judges double the price too. Exactly. It makes no sense. It's it's ridiculous that people just buy off of hype without looking up the data behind it. That's how you're going to get burned with, with sports cards. Don't listen to what every single YouTuber or influencer in the space tells you what to buy. You know why they're telling you to buy it most of the times? Because they have a big collection of it and they want to dump it with some of these players. Judge, don't get me wrong, he's a good player, but he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. At best case scenario, Aaron Judge is going to be like a Roger Maris where people are like, oh, I love Aaron Judge. And don't get me wrong, some Roger Maris cards are great, right? Like his yeah. rookie card, people like because of the 61 home runs. And then his 1961 tops card, people like because it's iconic, the Mantle Maris chase. But he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. So if you're looking to find players that are going to be in the Hall of Fame, looking for good long-term value, Look for players that have that trajectory. Having 40 war at the age of 28, you're on track to be a Hall of Famer. You're on track for probably 90 plus war, depending on what happens next few years. Because now from age 29 to 32, you're looking at the main prime of this player's career, especially power-wise. So don't follow what other people are saying. Do your own research before buying cards, especially in modern. I I would definitely agree with your point. I, I see a lot of people who have big collections of these guys and they'll tell you to go out and buy them 
And like you said, once you buy them and once their price is inflated, they'll sell them and they're on to the next guy then. Absolutely. And it happens way too much, uh, especially with prospecting now too. You see how many players that get hyped up overnight that aren't even in the MLB's top 100 prospects. All of a sudden, everyone's buying this player up and their cards go from a dollar to like $30, $40 overnight just because one YouTuber says it. Just like the Michael Jordan baseball quote-unquote rookie card from Upper Deck. This card was literally a $5 card up until this year. One YouTuber says, oh, this is Michael Jordan's baseball rookie card. The card shoots up to $60 overnight. I'm going to do that with Miguel Amaya. I own a bunch of Miguel Amaya stuff. I, <laughs> I should start hyping him up as the next uh, next JT Realmuto or something, see if people want his cards. <laughs> I, I messed up buying a lot of Miguel Sano. So, guys, go out there and buy all your Miguel Sano stuff, man. He's going to be a... Uh, 800 home run guy. He's going to win multiple triple crowns. I'm telling you, buy your Miguel Sano's right now. Oh, man. All right. How about um, I have a couple more questions. Sure. Uh, you said you like to collect vintage. So this is a good leading question. Who are some of the guys in vintage that you would love to collect? Like I already knew you said years, but do you have anybody like from – when you collected with your dad that you can look back on and be like, Oh man, I love this player. Yeah. So the number one player vintage wise that I bought with my dad was Nolan Ryan. So you guys know my name, which it's Ryan Nolan, literally the opposite <laughs> of Nolan Ryan. I was named after him. So I recently finished pretty much getting all of Nolan Ryan's cards. I still need his 69, which it's hard to find in good shape, but I finally acquired his rookie card recently at a card show. Uh, actually from one of my subscribers. So I was really happy about that. But I have a big Nolan Ryan PC. It's not vintage, vintage, but still 60s and 70s. So it's pretty cool with that. Um, but that's from like the more modern type vintage stuff. In the past, I also go after pitchers as well. So like I have a tobacco card of Christy Mathieson from a T205, which I really like, one of my favorite cards. I talked about Clarkson a little bit earlier as the oldest card in my PC. Um, but my favorite, like most iconic vintage card that I have is the 1933 Lefty Grove. A lot of people don't know who Lefty Grove is, but as a pitcher, he won nine ERA titles during an era where batters dominated. You're talking about the 30s. You have Babe Ruth in that area. You have Jimmy Fox. You have Mel Ott. You also have um, Hank Greenberg. You have, who else would I forget? Yeah, Jimmy Fox, Gehrig, Ruth, Greenberg, Mel Ott. There's a few others as well, but this era had a ton of Hall of Famers, a ton of superstars, and oh yeah, Joe DiMaggio. So just think about those names and think about their legacy with baseball. And this guy has nine ERA titles, including a triple crown. Let me just double check real quick. Lefty Grove. So he won nine ERA titles, two triple crowns, my bad. Two World Series, an MVP, and 106 war. So and I'm absolutely amazing career. Uh, anytime I can pick up his cards, I try to pick them up because I think he's one of those pitchers that people forgot about somehow. Um, it's not easy getting 170 war or 107 war 65 war makes you in the hall of fame. Even getting two or three ERA titles is great. He has nine. <laughs> you're, you're giving me a lesson here. <laughs> so I have another question too. Um, what would you consider vintage? What is vintage for you? Is it pre-80s? Is it because different people have different, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So 
vintage for me is anything pre-1975. So a lot of people, even like PSA's website, will consider vintage uh, pre-72. I include the 75 set as well just because of the iconic design of it. And it's still like a good year. Instead of 72, you say 75, it kind of rounds up. Um, but I don't consider the 90s or 80s vintage cards. I know a lot of people will because they're 30 or 40 years old. But if you look at the historical context of what vintage has been throughout the history of sports cards, it's always anything pre-75. And that's where you can find that type of stuff. There's two different types of vintage, though. I mean, really three. You have your vintage run from 48 all the way to 75. And then you have your vintage run from 48 all the way, or not 48, but 42 down to 33. And then you have the tobacco era or tobacco era cards. So that rages literally from 1887 all the way through. Don't remember the exact year they stopped making tobacco cards, but there is a big gap uh, between some of the tobacco sets and then the 1933 ones that came out. Awesome. Uh, do you want to finish it off with a few quick fire questions? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So where do you see the hobby in 10 years? So where do I see the hobby in 10 years? I think it's going to go towards like the fine art route where like your standard rookie cards are prints of the fine arts, but the very, very low numbered ones, like your one of ones, one of fives, they're going to go for six figures all the time, uh, especially like long-term with players like that. I know the hobby's really going to that already right now, but I think we're going to continue going in that fine art direction where your rare cards are going to go for a ton of money but then the commons aren't going to be worth as much. Uh, obviously that changes with vintage because a lot less supply, but with modern cards and how often they're getting printed, the value is going to decrease. Even if you have a really, really good player um, production wise as well in 10 years, it's if people in it today are going to be into it. It's so hard to predict. I mean, because people with the internet can go in and out of things, but what the baseball card hobby has now that it didn't have the last 20, 30 or 40 years is a online community. Now people can talk and you don't have to just go to vendors or dealers for information. People can build out YouTube videos and it can connect people from California all the way to Florida versus in the past. Or if you wanted your information, you'd have to get it either through like a Beckett magazine or talk to a dealer or talk to a card shop owner who may not have their best interest in for helping you. So it's kind of interesting where the internet has changed a lot of things, but uh, we'll see. It's a fun hobby, and I know I'll be in it for at least the next 10 years. Awesome. So what was the best hobby interaction you've had? Ooh, the best hobby interaction I've ever had. So it's, I don't know if this is the best one, but it's up there. I was posting in a Facebook group once some vintage cards, and this guy reached out to me. and says, hey, I'm getting out of baseball card collecting. I want to send you some cards. Um, I hope you enjoy them. And then ended up getting actually one of the PC cards I was looking for a while in 1953 um, Bob Feller tops card. So I was really, really happy about that. And I recently sent it to PSA. So I'm curious what it's going to end up grading, but you know, I got a free Bob Feller card from someone who liked the content. And I really liked that. It was really cool with that. I yeah, also that's can, awesome. I also want to add in the worst thing that's happened with sports cards because a little bit polar opposite. This actually happened to me last week. I don't have the no. video out yet. So a few months ago, I bought a Willie Mays and a Pete Rose rookie card from Facebook Marketplace. Oh, no. These cards were real. I checked them out and everything. But the issue was they're stolen cards. 
So someone stole them from a FedEx truck or facility back in St. Louis in December. And I had the FBI reach out this week, an FBI agent confirmed it with my parents because their neighbor is actually an FBI agent. Um, and they had the FBI.gov email address. And uh, I had to end up returning those cards back to the original sender or original buyer because they were stolen from a FedEx truck. Holy so, moly. Yeah. So it sucks. I lost my Willie Mays and Pete Rose rookie cards. Those aren't easy to replace, especially the maze. I'm not worried about finding a rose again, but finding a nice maze, man. Yikes. So I will say for anyone out there, be careful where you get your cards at. I say that because you don't pass up on good deals. Like you're not going to say, oh, this is undervalued. I'm not going to buy a card. But just be careful because someone that's selling you a card, it might be a stolen card. And it's not something you can really think about at the time or deal with. I mean, as far as I know, and I talked to FBI agent about it, there's no database about stolen cards. Um, but I really wish there would be because then it would make a lot of things easier. The only look up the serial number and find out. The only thing that makes it a little bit easier is we have grading now. So obviously we can identify the graded ones, but man, that sucks. Well, it was graded. It was graded by PSA. Oh, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, I was saying like if there's a database out there, like someone was able to compile it with different police reports, like, okay, this card's stolen. Here's a serial number behind it. So that way, if someone's buying a card off of eBay or buying it at a card show or anything like that, they can search up a serial number and go, this card's stolen. Don't buy this card. That would actually, that's actually a really good idea. Somebody needs to get on that idea. <laughs> because I'm telling you, man, that'll help out the hobby so much. It'll help these, these thieves that steal packages. It'll help these thieves that scam out and things like that. So also help out with the trim cards because there's cards that are slabbed that are trimmed and that way people will know about it. But if anyone wants to make that, just hit me up. I'd like to add it to the website. I have a website, breakout cards, um, sports cards, but yeah, it just freaking sucks. Sometimes you just don't know where people get their cards and they ended up being stolen. Hey, I definitely help sponsor you guys too. That's, that's an awesome cause. We should get a GoFundMe together for it. Well, I agree. The only hard part is dealing with all the local organizations because of different rules across the country, updating that database when cards are found. It's a, it's a, easy, a lot easier said than done because it's a lot of work with that involved. Definitely. Okay. I have a couple more and then, and then I, uh, I won't take your time any further. So who is your favorite, like, athlete ever it doesn't have to be a baseball player or if it is that's fine too my favorite athlete ever Ooh. i'm trying to think i mean it's a tough one <laughs> it really is if we're talking i'm just gonna go with baseball because i know the baseball market the best when i was younger i used to be a pitcher and the pitcher i used to idolize was bob gibson uh, from the Cardinals, Bob Gibson used to go out there and wouldn't care what anyone else thought, wouldn't care what the batters thought and would throw at batters. He was reckless on the mound, just absolute legend of the game and someone I idolized because I read his biography, was amazed by the things that he was able to accomplish. And he's a legendary pitcher that was known for his fastball and striking people out. And as a kid, as a pitcher, you know, I always wanted to strike people out with my fastball. And it was one of the first biographies I ever read. So Bob Gibson is going to be my choice for that one. That is so cool. Okay, I have one more, and then uh, I'll leave it at that. And this one's a tough one. 
Who, in your opinion, is the baseball GOAT, greatest of all time? Well, it's going to have to be Babe Ruth because he could pitch well and he could hit the home runs. And we're talking about a different era of baseball. We're not talking about a juiced baseball. We're not talking about all the different trainings and advanced stats that there is out there where he could improve. He literally was leagues ahead of everyone else, and it just wasn't even fair. And I'm going to say number two also because it's kind of hard to classify batters with pitchers. Pitching-wise, the GOAT is Walter Johnson. I know some people are going to say Cy Young, but look at Walter Johnson's stats compared to Cy Young if you take out the wins. And it just it's amazing what he's accomplished, especially with his war, especially how many strikeouts, his whip, and everything. He was leagues ahead of everyone except for maybe Christy Mathewson. But those are my two GOATs of baseball. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being my first guest. Before we go, is there anything you want to say to uh, anybody or anything you feel you want to plug or anything? Yeah, guys, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, which is Breakout Cards, every weekend I'm going out to different card shows. I'm filming the footage along the way. I have one of my friends, Steven, there as well, showing his pickups that he gets every single weekend. I have a lot more educational content as well, so you can find some pre-war videos on there, along with sets and investments. Been in the game for over 15 years. I have my dad, who I talked to, who has also been in the game forever, so you're getting a lot of knowledge on this channel. Awesome. Well, I'll leave the link in the description. Thank you very much for your time, and yeah, we'll see you next time. No problem. Thank you, CJ.